wonderful this morning. I, I just so appreciate giving young people the opportunity to serve the Lord. And they do a fantastic job. These little girls, I tell you, these little heart girls, I remember them when they were about that high. Y'all don't remember me back then, but I was, uh, I was about the same old man I am now. But you were just little guys. And I appreciate so much to see the growth. And it surprises me how quickly children grow and the great, uh, great voices that they have in worshiping the Lord. The kids that ushered did a fantastic job. And these fellows that stood up here and done these announcements. I like it when people are willing to be, you know, I have this thing. If it's worth being said, it's worth being heard. And I like it when they get up and they make an announcement and they, you can hear what they're saying. Thank you. Keep that up. You do good. You do a great job. I appreciate that. But uh, we are here today to worship the Lord. And I thought about, the, you know, the, the difficulty that sometimes we have and uh, being around the hospital this last uh, week uh, for long hours. You know, you have an opportunity to minister no matter where you are. Uh, we were at the hospital, and I said there's only one difficulty in that hospital is the fact that when we walk down the hall, everybody knows us. That's bad news. <laughs> My wife was there for, this is her fourth stay, and that's bad news when everybody gets to know you. But there's a good part to it because one of the nurses said, you know, one of the nurses that helped you has the same problem you do. And we said, we know. We talked to her about it and prayed with her about it. She said she's down in room 407. They keep the door closed on nurses because they know there's, Everybody knows it, but I said to the cleaning lady who knew us, and I said, "Would you, when you clean a room, you just tell her that the pastor is up there, and we'd be happy to come down and pray with her." And so Beverly got her post, and we went down the hall. We went into the room, and we had a great fellowship and a great time of prayer. Went on down to another room, and, and somebody else that we had met at the hospital had prayer for him. So we had prayer meeting at at the hospital, you know. Uh, and uh, people that, it's amazing if you just reach out to people how much uh, you can do ministry no matter where you are. And so I, I so appreciate that. I thought about Carol, who's a pediatric nurse who had the hard task of giving shots to children. Everybody wants to love children. I want to give them suckers and candy and hug. I don't want to give them shots. But nurses have to give them shots. And Carol had this awesome job. And one patient, a four-year-old Lisa, uh, was uh, refused to let Carol give her the shot. She just squirmed away and wasn't going to do it. And her mother looked over and said, that's not, being, that's not being polite. That's bad behavior, Lisa. You should not say that. Don't be saying no, 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 no. And so Lisa looked at the nurse, and she come back with the needle, and she said, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you. <laughs> she was going to be polite, <laughs> you know. I think sometimes that's the way we are, you know. Life can be difficult, and uh, all of us know that. It's trying to trust God with all of our problems. But sometimes our problems mount. All of us, if we're honest, problems come and we find ourselves just like little Lisa. No, Lord, no, Lord, no, Lord. Why now? Why me? We're all that way. 
We all have those times when we think about it. And one of the most familiar scenes is in the Scripture when Jesus and his disciples was out there in Mark 4. You want to follow along, you can. But let me, let me just say to you this morning, it's Mark 4, 35 through 41. But one of these, this Scripture talks about them being in a boat. It was getting dark. It was getting dusk. It was getting late. And as they were out there in that boat, a great windstorm came up. And the waves began to beat against the boat, and the boat began to fill with water. Meanwhile, all of this is going on. Jesus is up in the stern of the boat, sound asleep. And the Bible tells us that the disciples, when they realize this, they begin to ask the question, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? How many times have we said the same thing? How many times have we said that same question? Who of us has not asked the question at some time in our life, doesn't God care? Doesn't God care about me? When I think about that, doesn't God care that I've been diagnosed with cancer? After all, I'm a servant. After all, I'm a Christian. You see, we've asked that question. We asked the question, doesn't God care? Doesn't God care when I've done my best to raise my children and to be in Sunday school and to be in youth fellowship and to do all the things that are right? Doesn't God care when they get mixed up with the wrong crowd and end up in drugs? Doesn't God care? I mean, after all, we've tried our best. Or we might even say, doesn't God care when I've worked hard day after day after day? I've done everything I could, and yet it seems like the, far, the harder I work, the farther behind I run. Doesn't God care that, that I need that car, I need that truck, I need that tractor, I need that mower? Doesn't God know that I can't afford another one? You see, we're all in that same boat that the disciples was in. Whenever, where is God? Where is God when things like this happen? When storms begin to gather? When they come around us, our little boat is sinking and and we're on the verge of surrender, of, of being sunk under the water, and we begin to ask, Teacher, Lord Jesus, don't you care? And I'm perishing. Sometimes in life we find ourselves in the middle of a troubled storm. There are families and there are few of them that ever go through, individuals who go through life untouched by some kind of tragedy or sickness. Of all the people I've known, I thought about that. You know, I thought about even in ministry, which people question all the time. But you know what? Dr. Little McCutcheon was one of the greatest preachers in our movement. Raised up a church. I can remember her. We attended that church, and, and I preached in that church, but I can remember the story of her life. Her mom, her mom, when she was 16 years old, was pastoring a little church in Niles, Ohio. And she said to her daughter, who was just a young lady, 16, she said, Lily Bub, we got a new church starting over there in Newton Falls in a storefront. Would you go over there and preach for them until they get a good preacher? Forty years later, she's retiring from that church of over a thousand people. 
Why? In the midst of that, you think that's wonderful. Here she has out there. But you know her daughter, had Lily, had two sons and two boys. And they were raised in that community all their life. One became a successful teacher, educator, and his wife. But the other became an alcoholic. Why? Why, Lord, don't you care? Don't you realize what that's going to do to me? I'm a pastor in this community. What do you think that's going to do for me? But you see, the rain falls on the just as well as the unjust. And we've all come to that place to where we've asked that question. Every one of us. You know what? I think about the times when people, there are sicknesses and difficulties sometimes that we're unable to handle by ourselves. You know, most of us are kind of like the little boy. (laughs) The little boy that always liked to play Superman. Four-year-old Ray, you know, he'd get up every morning. He didn't want to get out of them pajamas. He ate his breakfast, and the first thing you do is you hand his mom a towel and a pin and said, pin it on the back of my pajama waist. Four, four teeth. And as he began, as soon as she put that on, he became not Ray, he became Superman. I mean, he was doing great things all day long because everywhere he went, he was Superman. He was just fantastic. I mean, this thing went on for two or three years, and every day he had to, when he put that towel on, it became a red and blue cape, and he was Superman in his mind. And it became a reality when he went to go to kindergarten. And he went, and Mom took him to, to register him in kindergarten, and they were sitting across the table, and the lady who was registered said, What's your name? He said, My name is Superman. She said, nah, I know, honey, uh, but what's your real name? He immediately said, Superman. And the teacher now, getting a little concerned, and got a little more harsher, more looking at him, and said, Now listen. In order for me to register you, I've got to have your real name. He looked around the room, and pretty soon he leaned across the desk, and he said, Clark Kent. <laughs> you know, sometimes that's what we are. Sometimes, you know, we like to tell people we're something we're not. And just like that little boy, I mean, you know, that's, that's the way we do it in life. Is it not true? All of us, most of our lives, we can walk confidently through it. We have no problems. We go, and then there are times when we think we're superman or superwoman, and we can do anything and everything, and there's nothing that can knock us down. You know what? Then there comes a time when the wind starts blowing. There comes a time, you know, when the boat starts rocking and we have to confess that we're merely nothing more than Clark Kent in disguise. And so what do we do? What do we do when times like that happen? We turn to God. And when we are inadequate to deal with life's pressures, we are confronted with the promise that God has given to us. You see, but we sometimes, when... God, we turn to God in the experiences. There are times when I've turned to Him and you've turned to Him. When you've asked God and you said, God, remember who I am. I'm your child. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. There's a silence. There seems to be no answer. 
There seemed to be nobody saying anything. And sometimes we feel like, like the disciples did. Master, you need to wake up. I'm hurting. Sometimes we've been there, haven't we? When we've asked, what can we do? The master's sleeping during the stress. We wonder why. And so the Bible says in the Scripture that I gave you this morning, the Bible says that when they awakened him, when they went to him, they went in fear. In fear, the disciples asked, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? You know what happened next. You know that when Jesus woke up, He rebuked the wind, and the sea became just as calm as calm could be. And the wind ceased, and there was an immediate calmness. And Jesus, the wind it ceased, Jesus said, Why are you afraid? How many times have we been there, you know? Oh, Lord, what am I going to do next? What's going to happen? What's going to happen next? What's going to happen if this thing continues? What's going to happen if I, if I lose my health? What's going to happen? And you know what? And Jesus is saying, well, wait a minute now. Where's your faith? I was with you when things were well. I'm going to be with you when they're not so well. If you have the faith. He said, where's your faith? And the Bible says the storm, my friend, was not the storm on the sea that was on the outside. The storm was the fear on the inside. Sometimes the problems that you and I face is not out there as much as it is in here. You know, we have to get beyond the book. We have to get beyond the words. We have to get beyond the speech. I can do all things through Him who strengtheneth me. You see, it has to be more than just words. You have to believe that. You have to get it from here to here. And in the midst of whatever's happening, we need to realize that all fear could be dispelled if we could only come to grips with our doubts. It's often the case as well. The storm rages and we cry out. At time, often seems to be that God's asleep. In the silence, we wrestle. And it's important for us. Then all of a sudden, all is still. God does calm the storm in the heart. God calms that storm. And and like the disciples, you marvel at what God has done. Oh, I've seen people that have just been so at edge and just didn't know what was going to happen and everything in life was falling apart until they came, as Reuben did this morning, and, and one prayer, it's amazing, one prayer can change it all. One prayer. That's all it took with the disciples. You know, even though when God's are sleeping, God's at work, God surrounds us. How comforting it is to know that in the midst of all of this that God's still there. We experience this, all of us. I can remember in in my lifetime, I can remember a 25-year-old boy, our second son. We were away. My son pastored, still pastor in the same church. 28 years later. 28 years. But he was a minister of youth, a minister of music, and he had a living Christmas tree. And we'd made the journey over to watch one of the performances because we were busy on the weekend, and so we had gone. And while we were there, 
as we came out that night. It was a cold night. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I started down the interstate. And I couldn't hardly keep my foot on the accelerator and keep my hand steady. I was just shaking so bad. I got so sick. My wife said, we've got to stop. We've got to stop. So finally, we pulled off and went to a motel and went in and went to bed. I mean, it was Friday night. I mean, we, we had till Sunday. And so we just, I, I was there. Well, I got up the next morning, got a shower, come in, said, are you ready to go? She said, I'm not feeling well. I said, well, we got to 11 o'clock. Let's just stay there. So she stayed there. We got out of the, out of the motel about 11.30, started down the highway. In the meantime, there was people trying to get a hold of us. And had no cell phone back then. We call them a nuisance today. They were a blessing if you use them as the right thing. I drove, never forget it. Drove into my driveway. My associate was sitting at the edge of my driveway in his car. I thought, I wonder what's going on. Well, maybe, maybe Brother George had a heart attack. He had had one and was in the hospital and been in and out. And I'm, I'm trying to put in my mind what's going to happen. And when I pulled in the driveway and pushed my door opener and the garage door went open, he got out and he come over and he said, can we go in and sit down? I said, what's up? Let's go sit down. He said, your son was killed at 8.30 this morning in a car accident. Now, let me tell you something. I'm going to be honest with you today. I said, God, don't you care? Don't you care about me? I mean, I have been in the emergency room all hours of the day and night for many, many teenagers who have been through accidents and prayed for them that they would live and get well and come through. And my son was not taken care of. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to ever preach again. I was feeling defeated. I cried. I bawled. I did everything I could. You know what? And, and it was so hard. But I realized that even in the midst of that, God was still caring. You know something? There were people by the thousands that sent cards and letters and calls. In fact, my kids would take the messages on the phone and then change the tape because I said, don't throw them away. I want to hear who called. I can remember going to the funeral home. Had a funeral at the church, but we had a funeral home. They said, well, we're going to have this viewing on... We'll start you off at 1 o'clock, and we'll break at 4 o'clock, and we'll come back at 6 o'clock. We got there at 12 o'clock, and 11.30 that night, they were still lined outside. You know what that told me? That told me that God cared about me. God cared about my family. God sent people to me that could comfort, that could pray, that could hug us, that could tell us how, how they felt and what they wanted. And the same thing through the, through the next few days as we went through all of this. Let me tell you something, my friend. God, when we think He's asleep, how comforting it is to discover that through our tragedies and sicknesses, we have many people that are praying for us. 
My son has a special needs son, grandson of ours. He's a tremendous guy. You know what? He can't read. But I'm going to tell you something this morning. If I took that church of God hymn a while, he could read and he could sing verses in there that you don't even remember. You ask him to sing a church of God song, brother, he knows it. He gets a tape of every service in the church, and he'll play that thing all week long. And he'll sing, and of course, you know, he's emotional. <laughs> I mean, he gets to sing, and he'll swing his arms, and he gets a, and he loves preaching. When he's a little boy, and they sent him off to one of these, not a daycare, it's kind of a workshop thing, and it came his day for show and tell. <laughs> the only thing he liked was church music and church preaching. We couldn't buy him a basketball. He said, Dad, send him the mo- send him the tapes. Send him the tapes of the preaching. Send him the tapes of the preaching. That's all he wanted. So come show and tell. <laughs> we, had a, we had a TV program, so they, they taped it. So we'd take that tape and we'd send it off to Alex. Come show and tell. They say, what do you got today? He said, Grandpa's preaching. <laughs> I mean, they had to sit there and watch it. When they celebrated this birthday, 16th birthday, all of the teachers that worked with them and the helpers, they all came to his party. And when Alex was going to introduce me, they said, we know who you are. (laughs) We have to watch you every once in a while. You see what I'm saying? Is that God cares for us in the midst of every situation that we face. Alex is having problems with his eyes. He's not going to... Everything's wrong with him but his eyes. And so they're going to send him over to England to a world supposed to be greatest doctor, and they were going to check him out. Now he's going to be he's going to be going to another doctor in Maryland. They've just accepted him as a, a guinea pig to check him out. You know, see what they can learn from him. But I can remember when we were sending him there, not wanting him to lose. You know, he had all these other problems. He can't lose his eyesight. And so they were sending him over, and so my son, who, who does a lot of singing and as long as preaching, and so he would do concerts, and the concerts money would go to help build. And we had a fellow in our church that was a manager of Walmart, and so uh, you know how Walmart has for children. So they decided they'd pick him up, and we'll, we'll make sure we get enough money to pay that ticket to send you and, and, and his parents over to England to have his eyes checked. And his picture was plastered all over the United States. I mean, I, I go to Walmart, and of course I go there and, and thank him because I have a reason to thank him. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not promoting Walmart. I'm just promoting the fact of what they did for us. And I'd go, I'd go to North Carolina and go back in the room where they check people in, and I'd see Alex's picture. I'm going to pray for Alex Walker. You see, even with his eye difficulty, it became a ministry of people learning to pray. And people from all over the country would, would write letters and say, I prayed for him. Once you know our church prayed for him. And, and you know what? It's amazing what, what can happen when we experience the comforting prayers of other people who love us enough to pray for us. I thought about that here, you know. 
You know, you know, we've prayed so many times for your cancer to go into remission. It's there. And then a lot of people, you know, well, be shouting that from the rooftop. That, that's a miracle. And, and you know what? I think about Tom and Jean, all those years you spent in ministry. And yet God spared you for this hour. He's not finished with you yet. He's still got things he wants to do. And you know what it's going to take? It's going to be taking all these people who know that name that when they get up every day and they pray, they pray for your health and your strength and your, can keep you going. And then pray at night to give you a good night's rest. You know, I, I, I just tell people all the time when people say to me, you know what, when they're praying, you know, especially young converts and I don't know, some of the others just don't say nothing about it. But I hear a lot of people say, what do you know to pray about? I mean, you pray about so many things. You sound like my dad. My dad wasn't a Christian when I got, felt called to ministry. And he said to me, I'd already been preaching. And I said, well, you know, Ed, I just feel that God's called, wants me to go to Gulf Coast Bible College, and maybe it would help me to learn how to preach or do something. He said, son, you ain't never been anywhere but in Ohio and Pennsylvania, and you're talking about going across the country. You don't even know where Texas is. I said, you may be right, but God's, God's called me. He said, I'll tell you what. I, th- I think you're making a mistake. You, you, you got a wife, and you need, to, you need to realize you've got responsibility. And how are you going to make a living out of a book? See, he didn't understand. And we went off to Texas. And you know what? My dad said, if he wants to communicate, let him call you. Don't you spend money calling him. That was okay. God brought me out of Texas into Tennessee. From Tennessee, he sent me back to Pennsylvania. And we were in Pennsylvania about five years, and we began to grow, and the church needed to build, and we started building. My dad was a contractor. <laughs> he couldn't keep his nose out of that building. He showed up. He said, I came to get a Coney Island hot dog. I just thought I'd drive by and see what's going on. And you know what? He'd be there and he'd watch it. And when it come to the day of dedication, we, my mom it was a cook. I mean, my mother cooked for everybody. When I was a kid, we hauled food to people I didn't even know. She'd say, hon, you've got to take that down to the neighbor down there. They've had a tragedy. Or you've got to take it over here. And I'd go knock on doors to people I didn't even know and give them food. Because she said, I'm going to bake all the rolls. I said, Mom, you're not going to do that. They're going to take 350 rolls in that dedication dinner. I said, all right, I'll take care of it. But you know what? After that dedication, they, they, there were some folks that kind of got a click in him. Next Sunday, they showed up in church. It wasn't three weeks. I had an old guy that I had been dealing with through this building program. I mentioned his name before, John. John's a, <laughs> John was a, he was a supervisor of roads in the town where we lived, and I had to get his permission on a tower for you to get a driveway in it. And he was kind of a rough rider guy. I've been praying for him. John came to church, and I've been praying for him. He's always sit back there. You know, John wasn't very smart. John never sat in the back. His first time in church, he came right down to the second pew from the front. I could almost reach out and touch him. 
And I prayed for John. I wanted John to get saved. Man, I was praying one Sunday morning. I just felt like, God, you're going you're gonna to do something here today. You're going to do something here today. And man, I closed my eyes and I'm just praying. And I looked down and seen his white hair. And I said, oh, God, thank you. And I looked down. It wasn't John. It was my dad. And on this side was John. You see, what I'm trying to say is, is that when we think things are tough, when we think things are hard, we need to remember that God, mixed in the midst of all of that, is going to germinate something that's going to come out good. And so when I think about all the things that have happened, of the good things, you know, it kind of, kind of reminds me of a young lady that, that had cancer. Julie, many nights Julie fell asleep with her, the same wish on her heart to be with her husband and her four children until she could see her children grown. The cancer was taking over. The pressure of watching the cancer as it railed against Judy for, Julie for seven years triggered daily migraines in her husband. You see, when a person goes through that, it's not just them. It's been a it's been a sleepless week for me. Because you see, when when you are united to somebody in marriage, you become one. And when she don't cooperate to get the rest, I don't get any rest. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're there. You're there. Well, the same thing happened with Julie as she was going through this. She, her husband began to get migraine headaches, and, and she would hear the cries from her children, Mommy, don't die, from her son and daughter. Fighting cancer took toll on that family. In the community they lived, the people all knew them, and they, they respect them. The church loved them and their friends. And as they begin to go through this process... God raised up an army. It wasn't no time until God began to work and almost the entire town began to rally around them. One woman coordinated an ongoing prayer chain that would pray 24 hours a day for Julie and for her husband and for her three, children, her three daughters and her son. And they prayed for them. Another one organized to gather money and took $600 and took all of these children out to buy them new school clothes. Another one gathered around and set up a random to where they would make sure there was food there for them. Hot food day after day after day. They had things going on in the community. The churches all came together. Can you imagine cancer in a woman bringing unity in a church? As Louise mentioned, that's not unusual. You know what? The people want to be there sometimes more than the preachers do. But you know what? They came together. All of the churches in that community, and they begin to have their fundraisers, and they begin to have their sings, and they begin to have the, and all the money that was brought in was given to try to get Julie healed from cancer. The whole community, all through their 15 area churches, donated their their proceeds from their fundraisers. Local residents and hosted a spaghetti dinner. And I'll never forget, it's 700 people attended in a pour-down rain in May to raise money to help offset the cost. 
through the time of pancake breakfasts and talent shows, they were able to come together with about $37,000 towards Julie's $260,000 bone marrow transplant. But the transplant and all the many surgeries and tests and treatments could not defeat the cancer that Julie had. I hate to tell you, but in June 15, 2005, Julie went home to be with the Lord. But you know something? The family and the members of that town who walked along with Julie in her journey see another side of her pain and death. If you were to listen to them now, you would find that some of them said it was, it was good for our community. It gave them a closer walk with God. It taught them how to pray for someone that was in need. They walked through the struggle with this family in prayer. It said that the people said that after it was all over, we suddenly feel more closely tied to heaven than we did before there was a struggle. Because now they knew that the woman that they loved, the woman that they prayed for, the woman that they they wanted to know that one day that many of them would see her again in heaven. Yes, storms rage, and we cry out. And later we discover that God was at work through it all, even though when we thought He was asleep. Even though we thought He was asleep. I want to tell you something. Sometimes you experience something beautiful, something amazing, that goes on in your life, and later you describe it as a miracle. It's a miracle. How many times have we prayed for you and say, Oh, what a try. I have to admit to you, I've driven home in my car saying, God, why this young lady? Why? Why cancer has taken over? But you know what? Because God wanted to show us He could do a miracle. God wanted to show us that miracles are still... At times you will find what Julie and her family did. Strength for the journey. And through love and prayer and support of family and church and friends, many times I've had people come back after going through all of that and say, you know what, I would never change what I went through for the experience that I've received. How I've learned to trust in God. How I've learned of what it's all about. Mark tells us, and they were filled with awe. I don't know about that. I was going to look it up and I didn't have time this week, but I thought about it. You know, you know what all is? It's, it's when somebody comes and offers you something you never dreamed would ever happen. You never dreamed that you would I'm in awe. You know what? We ought to be in awe today for what God's done. I'm in awe that Beverly is going to come home tomorrow or the next day because you know what? What it could have been. What it could have been. But God saw, now's the time. Let's get that thing out of there. You see, we have to realize God doesn't sleep. Miraculously, we discover what God can do in our lives. It said, and they were filled with awe and said one to another, Who is this? And even the wind and the sea obey Him. People ask me all the time, 
Who is this God that you serve? Who is this? Where is this church that's doing all these things? Where is this people that believe this way? I tell you where they are. They're where God wants them to be. I'm always amazed at how often sometimes we come through trials and ordeals and we express our appreciation for their experience. One of them was the world's, I guess he was greatest bicyclist, Lance Armstrong. Anybody know that name? I mean, bike for thousands and thousands of miles. And then in the midst of all of that exercise, he found he had cancer. I like his testimony. Did you know what he said? He said, had I never had that, I would have never come to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He said it was in that downtime. It was in that pity time. It was in that time when I thought, Lord, why? 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 And I cried out to Him. You see, we don't understand things that goes on in our lives. Cancer, was make, he said, was the making of me. Through fear and pain, I came to know Jesus, and I became more compassionate and a more intelligent husband and father, and therefore more alive person. Does God care? You bet He cares. He cares for every one of us. In closing this morning, I think of a tragedy that happened. Nine-year-old Daryl. Nine-year-old Daryl's life went up in smoke with the house caught on fire. The house that caught on fire, his three sisters, his mom, his dad all died. Daryl was born over 90% of his body, but he was taken to the born ward in Columbus, Ohio. Daryl was in that burn ward for almost two years. Because if you know anything about burns and how to replace that skin and take a portion off and put it in a test tube and let it grow in order to graft it back, and then if it doesn't work, they take it off. Daryl would go every day, once a day. They would take him down to the spa. And they would put him on a lift. And they would lower that lift. And when they'd put it down into that lift, down into the water, and the water's bubbling all around, then they would pour the tide in. And the screams was unbearable. I'd been there. You could hear him screaming. Oh, God, it hurts. I'll never forget it. They brought him back up to a room, and a guy that had come to the room just a day or so beforehand, said to the nurse as they were putting him in the bed, what kind of a God would allow this to happen to a nine-year-old boy? And Darrell yelled from the top of his voice, don't you dare talk about God. He's the one I call for when I hurt. How about you? How about you? I've known people who said, I'm a, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in church. I don't believe in anything. But you know what? You ask somebody that sat in the car next to him when the accident happened, when somebody pulled out in front of him and there was a, oh God! I tell you why. Because God has a divine 
instrument that works through the hearts of every person. I don't care who that person is that tells me that they don't believe in God and they don't have any connection with God. Let me tell you something. They may not have with Him that He has with you. It's not His will that any should suffer or any should perish, but that all should come unto Him. Because He cares. You might think nobody cares about you today. I want to tell you something. In the midst when it seems like the worst of the worst, and we've all been there, haven't we, Brother Dale? We've all been there, even in the ministry, been there. And you think nobody cares. Then we realize God cares. God knows. He knows why I'm where I am and why I'm there. He has a purpose in it. So I asked you this morning, does God care about you? When it hurts, do you cry out to Him? When the difficulties are there and things aren't going well, children getting in trouble, marriage seems to be drying up, bills seem to be building up, car broke down, does God care? You better believe He cares. And He's saying to you this morning, if you'll just reach out to me, I'm reaching down to you. And He'll meet that need. Let's stand. Father, this morning, You know the hearts of those that are sitting here. All of us have gone through times, Lord, when the storms have come against us. Oh God, when the, when the old boat began to rock and we kind of got a little flutter in our stomach and we feel sick. And we cried out. And Lord, you calmed it all. Father, we pray today for that one that may be sitting here thinking that nobody cares about me. Nobody cares about what I'm going through. Nobody cares. I want, Lord, that you would reveal to them how much you really do care for them. You care enough that you are willing to give your only begotten Son to take it all on for them. Father, speak to hearts and lives right here today. Whatever the need might be, we pray, Lord, that they would call to you. And when they do, you will answer. Speak as we sing this morning, and we'll give you the thanks. In Christ's name we pray. Will you come if you have any? Will you take your hymnal?